What would St. John Henry Newman have thought about Pope Francis? Well, in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, you're going to find out. Father Ian Kerr is the world's leading authority on our new saint. Father Kerr is an Oxford professor who has authored 20 books on Newman, including the definitive biography on St. John Henry Cardinal Newman. LifeSite News intrepid producer Jim Hale was blessed to nab Father Kerr for a quick interview in Rome. And Father Kerr was very open indeed about his views on Pope Francis and what Newman would have thought about the current papacy. Stay tuned. I just heard a talk the other day, somebody claiming that certainly Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine means that he would be all on board with uh, ordination of women and the end of priestly celibacy and all these things that are kind of being floated around now. What, what would your response to that be? Uh, well, my response would be that that's nonsense, that, that Newman's, um, Newman says that famous sentence in the essay on development where he says to live is to change. Now that sentence is always quoted by the liberals, you see, but they don't quote the sentence before, which is the effect that Christianity changes, yes, in order to remain the same. It's exactly that principle of, of, continu of change and continuity that Pope Benedict spoke of in that famous yes. speech, as opposed to disrupture. Father, what's your advice to those who are <coughs> really, there's almost a sense of gloom now amongst so many faithful Catholics because they feel like the church is, 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 has, is revolutionizing at a pace that's just too fast. What is your message to Catholics who are extremely concerned right now? Well, it's a very strange pontificate because it's really a throwback to the 1970s. Uh, after John Paul and Bendix, it's astonishing, because the, the present Pope is really a, a 1970s Jesuit, in other words, a liberal, and so, um, so I, and, he, and he has created great doctrinal confusion in the church, right from the beginning when he said, who am I to judge, when he's asked about homosexuality. Yes. Well, he's the Pope, he's there not to judge the people, but the sin. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and then, uh, and then th saying crude, vulgar things like, rabbits don't have to breed like rabbits, that's a dreadful thing for a Pope to say terrible mm -hmm. and um, of course he's very like President Trump in many ways he likes he likes sacking people yes uh, he sacked Mueller and Mueller said Cardinal Mueller from Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith and Cardinal Mueller said he'd been treated with the most unchristian discourtesy mm -hmm. it's terrible mm -hmm. uh, the only difference between him and, 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 um, and Trump is that um, Trump's got a beautiful wife and he hasn't <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. well Okay. okay. Um, so, but you you still seem so pleasant and joyful. I mean, where's the church going? What what are we to do? Well, it's very it's very grim. But Newman says, you know, the church always survives these things, and we're just going through what I regard. Of course, he's very the post very popular with certain, with the people who, are, who don't know what's going on. You know, who, the old, because of these symbolic gestures he makes, like carrying his suitcase. Or <laughs> yes. Um, but actually, that that caused considerable. Imp Inconvenience, apparently. <laughs> yes. um, well, well so, right. It's like some of, some of the merchants around here are out of business now because he doesn't want to wear the vestments anymore. You no, know? no. Well, the truth is, you look at the, the seminaries. The seminarians are, are uniformly orthodox today. 
in every country that any Western country that I know of. Okay, so let's take that run. Is that cause for hope? Yes. I mean, you see, what I find very, I mean, what's so disturbing is another, when I was at the English College in Rome in, nine, in the 1970s, uh, which is a very liberal college, you see, typically, and um, I suppose most seminarians probably thought Paul VI was too conservative, but they would never have spoken disrespectfully about him. Yeah. But the seminarians here at the English College and North American College call the Pope Fat Frank. I mean, I, it's, I mean that's amazing. Okay. I mean, nobody would have spoken. However much opposed you were to John Paul II or Benedict, you would never have spoken disrespectfully right. about them. Do you sympathize with those who feel that kind of frustration? Yeah, I do. I think it's terrible what's happening. Hmm. Where, we, where do we go from here? Well, we don't, because he's, he went, of course, he's also very, very vindictive in a way that John Paul and Benedict never were. Mm -hmm. I mean, take what he's done in America. He's denied the Archbishop of Los Angeles, who's got five million Catholics in his diocese, yeah. more than the whole Catholic population of England. He's, he hasn't made him a cardinal because he's Opus Dei. The Archbishop of Philadelphia, who I know and is a very nice man, he hasn't given him the red hat either because he's conservative. Mm -hmm. And he's made these appalling appointments. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's also, of course, making cardinals in all these, for instance, the, Arch the Bishop of Stockholm is a cardinal. Well, he's got about 20,000 Catholics or so. <laughs> yes, right. So we really don't know, except I would have thought that the third world countries where he's from, they would tend to be conservative, I would think. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to remember. We don't really know what they think, you see. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know what these American cardinals that he's appointed think. I mean, it's dreadful. Mm -hmm. And one of them is clearly a homosexual. Yes. Because he tweeted this night-night uh, darling, and he claims it was sent to his sister. It's absolute nonsense. Yes. He had an Italian model staying in his residence. What was he doing having an Italian model staying there? And, and not a woman. No. no. It was clearly to the, the boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> well, father... Um. <coughs> I got I got two so I had two sisters. I'd never called them darling. They, they thought I was out of my mind. <laughs> yes. Well, they think I was being patronizing. Right, right. But but here you are. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to be here right now? If you could just comment on sort of personally what this moment means to you, having lived with this man for for so long. Well, in two ways. Well, in the first way is because it was. Um, seeing an, a, um, one of the EWTN programs that I made some years ago about Newman. Um, it got Jack Sullivan in Massachusetts praying to Newman because he had that terrible back condition. Yes. And then Melissa, the lady in Chicago, what I said interested her. And um, so when she fell very gravely ill, she began praying. Mm -hmm. And they both, had, I've got, they both had the same experiences, you know. They both smelt roses that weren't there. And they both saw a double rainbow, isn't that strange? I can't see there's any particular Newmanian significance in that. <laughs> so there's that, but there's also the fact that this will enable Newman to be made a, uh, declared a doctor of the church. And I consider that he's the, the doctor par excellence, or he will be, of the post-conciliar church. Just like St. Robert Bellarmine is the, yes. is the great doctor, doctor par excellence of the Tridentine church. Mm. Why do Catholics today need to <coughs> know about Saint uh, John Cardinal Newman? Why do they need to know? How do you mean? Well, why is it important for um, all the thousands who are gathered here and the Catholics throughout the world to understand who this man was? Well, because I say he was the, he is the great... Uh, in my last book, Newman on Vatican II, I talked about how, how he anticipated the Council and how he also provided a very interesting hermeneutic 
of what happens, likely to happen after council. So he could have predicted the confusion that followed Vatican II. Yeah, that wouldn't have surprised him in the least bit. So as you're and also there'll be many people converted by his writings, yes. so this means something personally to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know of an American bishop who was converted by reading mm -hmm. Newman. Mm -hmm. So <coughs> what is it about Newman that, that stands out in, the, in the, the last 200 years of the church? Why is he so important? Well, he wrote the great classic on university education, the idea of university. He wrote what is one of the great theological classics, the essay on the development of Christian doctrine. He wrote what was one of the great classics of the philosophy of religion, his grammar of ascent. Uh, and fifthly, his Anglican plain and parochial sermons, which are quite widely read by Catholics, uh, one of the great classics of Christian spirituality. So you know, how many figures you've got there? Five, I think. When you were doing all your research... Oh, he's also a great, one of the greatest writers of English prose. Right. Mm. <coughs> when you were researching him, what, what did you learn about Newman, perhaps, that surprised you? Surprised me? Well, I don't, well, I don't know that anything particularly surprised me. I mean, in my biography of Newman, I was trying to... Um, one of the things, one of my goals was to, um, was to show just how he never lost his sense of humor, even in the darkest hour. Because unfortunately, his first big, first big biographer, Wilfred Ward, was very good on his theological balance. Mm -hmm. He was neither liberal nor conservative. But, um, but he, he painted this picture of, of a gloomy, hypersensitive Newman, which is completely false. Mm -hmm. Certainly Newman was very sensitive, yes. And there were no doubt times when he was hypersensitive. Because he was a sinner, like, you know, saints are still sinners. Mm -hmm. I think... From what I've read, a lot of people don't really understand the significance of Newman's conversion and what it meant at the time. Could you just talk a little bit about that? And well, it was, of course, also it was an incredible thing to do in those days in this country. Remember, England was heavily Protestant, very, very few Catholics, until the Irish immigration began, of course, in the 1840s. Uh, there were just these recusants, Catholics who'd hung on to the faith mainly up in Lancashire in the north of England. Um, well, first of all, it's considered to be an intellectual impossibility. The typical Englishman would say you can't possibly believe all those doctrines of Catholicism. Uh, secondly, um, there was a very racist attitude towards Catholicism because in those days, the English, the English intellectuals thought that um, the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the... Um, I can't think what the word is now. Um, the the Anglo-Saxon, yeah. the Anglo-Saxon countries were the top countries. That's to say, Britain and Germany, and especially Germany. They thought Germany was the most cultured, civilized country in the world. Of course, they got a horrible shock when the first. Well, they were dead by then, but of course, the First World War dispelled that with the German atrocities, and of course, even more so, yeah. the second, the Second World War. Um, so, so they they thought the Celts and Latins were racially inferior. And the reason why they were inferior was because they were under the yoke of the Catholic priesthood, mm. which is why they were so backward, you see. Mm. And then thirdly, of course, the whole, the, just like the, um, the Soviet Union was built upon this myth that there'd been a great uprising of the people, which is completely untrue, of course. It was a coup d'etat. Yeah. Similarly, in this country, the, um, the, the, the general, the, the assumption was that people in this country had, had risen up to throw out the church which of course was complete nonsense. It was the King Henry VIII who wanted a divorce. Yes. It, was, it was a coup d'etat. 
and he built up support for himself, of course, by confiscating the monastery lands and giving them to the um, <laughs> giving the barons money. Mm. Mm. Um, but of course, it wasn't really until Eamon Duffy in his book *The Stripping of the Altars* finally brought this out that, in fact, this was de I think it was the most Catholic country in Europe at the time. Mm. It was a great devotion to Mary. Yes, yes, and. Um, um, to show that the ordinary people, uh, you know, that it was very unpopular, the Reformation. Mm -hmm. Of course, they, yes. they, they had, there were uprisings against it. Mm -hmm. Father, why do, why do Catholics <coughs> need to read Newman today, in, in, in this time that we're in now, which certainly seems to be like a time of considerable confusion? Well, it's because his writings convert people, and his writings also, hopefully, correct the errors of some of our people who, who, who get things wrong. Mm 